What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Blog Talk Radio. This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City. Well, welcome to another hour of the Wealth Psychology Show with Dr. Jamie Trager-Muni, located in Israel, and Emily Bouchard in Northern California. Good morning, Jamie. Hi, Emily. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm always wanting, I think our listeners want an update, too, about how you're doing. You're um, over halfway through your uh, chemotherapy for breast cancer and wanting to know how you are. Um, It's definitely cumulative effects, and and I'm feeling good. You know, it's challenging, and I'm looking forward to being all the way done with the truth. The treatments and having this behind me. So thanks for asking. Yeah, definitely. And I like that you use the term feeling good because I would say if there's one theme to our show, it's drawing on, capturing, moving towards that which has us feeling authentically good, has us feeling authentically alive, no matter what's going on in our lives, especially when wealth and money are components of our lives. And it may sound a bit ironic and a bit like, wait a second, how could you not feel good if you have a lot of money and if you're wealthy? And the reality is there's a lot of complexities around that and a lot of emotional aspects that come with having a lot of wealth. And that's why a lot of people don't have it and why there's such a disparity and why people who do have wealth um, have a lot of challenges that they don't ever get to address. And that's what the show is about, is giving people a chance to um, have their concerns addressed uh, you know, take it out of the closet in a sense, the last taboo. And we're going into it pretty deeply today, wouldn't you say, Jamie? Absolutely, and especially when, um, you know, the reason why you have the wealth comes with a painful um, reason when somebody dies. We're going to explore that today and some of the emotional overload, certainly, and also particularly the... Uh, paperwork and minutiae overload of dealing with, you know, um, all the different kind of paperwork that you have to learn, the different kind of records that you have to keep, and in the midst of facing grief. Yeah, and this was inspired by some work. Um, I mean, we, we definitely encountered this with our clients, and um, I worked with a client recently, and it was so dramatic 
uh, the experience and what I got to witness with her that um, I thought it would be really valuable to just describe a little bit about it to give anybody who's listening a sense of what we're talking about. Because it's, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you work with wealthy people. It's like, how much money do they have? And one of the things, one of the distinctions that we give is that it has way less to do with the numbers and the dollars in the bank account and way more to do with uh, how you perceive it and what it's like for you um, in terms of where you are now, in terms of, especially if you're an inheritor versus where you were before you received the inheritance. So this particular client was successful in her career, was uh, doing really well in a a very uh, good job and was happy with her lifestyle. And she uh, wasn't making a ton of money, but she was making enough and she lived within her nut. She didn't have any debt. And um, we looked at her filing system because she, um, I specifically went to work with her on um, addressing a pile of paperwork that had come from the investment company that deals with the trust related to her inheritance. And we started out by her showing me um, what she'd done so far and what her wins were, um, how far she'd come, and she'd just gotten a new um, file cabinet. And she showed me the one that she had before, which was basically a really elegant-looking box that also could double as the ottoman. And that more than held all of the paperwork she needed to track her investments, her retirement, her insurance, um, all the different details of life that we need to have paperwork for fit in this one very nice-looking box that fit really in a nice way with her decor. And then she showed me this new uh, standing four-drawer, very large file cabinet that she had just gotten. And the top drawer, the very front of it, represented what her life was like paperwork-wise, before her inheritance. And it was not even half the drawer. And it was very well organized and really easy to see. And um, uh, we looked at that. And then she showed me the binders that she had started to create two years ago when her inheritance started, when her uh, father's mother passed away. And she received an inheritance that she did not know she was getting. And those binders were filling up that original box that had had her stuff from her entire life. She's uh, 55. Um, And she pulled out these binders. And what I did was I had her do a physical check. And we picked up the binders and we actually put them side by side with what her entire adult life looked like compared to the last two years. And they were heavy. And they were filled with monthly statements. And they were, uh, you know, physically large to look at. And just two of those binders were more space-wise than everything that her entire life up until she was 55 represented. And then we took them because we – oh, oh, Jamie. I was just going to say I'm just having a reaction as you speak, a visceral reaction of starting to feel overwhelmed, you know. And I – just imagining the, you know, almost on a set of weights, her life, you know, up to 50, up to 53, and then from 53 to 55. So it, it's amazing. Even as you describe it, I can feel the overwhelm starting. I'm so glad you said it that way because what we did was I wanted her to have a somatic, visceral 
physical experience that we could witness and see together that really showed her why she has felt so paralyzed and so stuck for so long. And it hasn't been that long. That's the other thing I kept saying to her was two years is not a long time for everything you've had to go through, and she's gone through a lot. So we took the binders and we actually put them on her shoulders to give that sense of the weight and the overwhelm physically. And it was really powerful for her to have somebody witness it, for both of us to really see and feel that weightiness that has been riding on her. And it really um, brought forward that overwhelming sense of responsibility and obligation in a domain, in a world, part of the world that she had never interfaced with on any level before. And that inundation of the paperwork is just one aspect of it, and it's so in our space. It just it invaded her space. Her entire countertop in her kitchen was covered with it, her dining room table. You know, it was really overwhelming her. And so she got the file cabinet, and then um, her sweetheart really helped her because he's great at being creative and bringing the creative artist forward and supporting her and tapping into her warrior that likes to organize. And he found this wonderful system where you can make labels from your computer. So it's super easy to type in what you want the label to be, and you press print, and it, boom, it spits it out really quickly. It's fun. It's immediate. And one of the goals that we wrote around our work together was that we would have fun. And we both, she was like, yeah, right, like really not looking forward to it at all. And yet we, we had that as an intention that we would be playful, we would have fun, and it would go really easily. And... I, just, uh, I want to slow you down for a minute because you're, you're sure. saying so much. Sorry to talk over you. But no, please. Thank you so much. And I think it's really important because, you know, someone might think, oh, okay, I've got two years' worth of um, tremendous paperwork and I'm hiring somebody to come. I'm not hiring an organizer. I'm hiring a coach to come and help me work, you know, and the goals that you have. And it's interesting because I think so often – we have accomplishments that we don't even realize. We're making progress and we're moving forward, but our experiences that we're standing still. So I, I think it's really important to highlight that even making the labels, which is, you know, for her, sounds like it was a fun, you know, she's an organizer, a fun step. They could be colorful, um, not too painful, is a huge step forward. And you have to recognize and appreciate all of those wins even just getting the gravity, like you said, of those binders on her shoulders is really taking it into her body. So, so often we we move forward as we make progress um, without giving ourselves recognition that we made progress. So I just really wanted to point that out. So glad you did, Jamie. That's really important for us to emphasize. It's, I think one of the, the biggest parts of this show when we talk about our uh, inspiring invitation is, those little tiny incremental steps that get us to where we want to go and it's taking those steps and um, supporting people not feeling so stuck and getting out of the overwhelm and each little step becomes that much uh, easier to take as you acknowledge the one that was before. So that, yeah, I'm so glad you said that. And, and I just to continue on yeah. that before you finish, before sure. you move on with yours, it's just this idea of overwhelm is really about when you're when you're in overwhelm, the way to deal with it is about getting grounded and centered and saying, what's the next, like you said, small step that I can do right now? 
because all we have is the present. We can only make take action right now. So when we futurize and think, oh, my God, this has to get done, um, you know, that takes us out of the present. But when we take a step such as typing in the label for this and then hitting the print button and then putting it on the folder, those are small link steps that are moving us forward. All right, now I'm going to be quiet and let you continue, Em. No way. I want you to jump into the next level because this is so important. We're jumping into this whole concept of overwhelm. And anybody who's listening who has dealing with this on any level, I mean, if anybody just takes a look at their desk right now or their files or their pile of paper, whoever's listening may experience overwhelm even in the conversation. Jamie, would you speak into the concept of oversaturation versus overwhelm? Because it can be very helpful. And I think that, you know, why not jump in and give some coaching right around what we're talking about? Great. So let's distinguish those two terms because I think they often get used interchangeably and we really want to distinguish them. That overwhelm is the feeling of, it's it, it feeling like there's too much, um, there's stress, there's anxiety, there's fear, there's confusion, there's a sense of being out of control and not knowing what to do. Whereas oversaturation has more of a quality of being full. You know, if you think about um, the earth and when um, it's been raining so long that the the ground becomes oversaturated and it can no longer absorb any more of the rain that's coming down. That's the sense that we have with oversaturation. Um, there's just, you, you can't take in any more information. There's a feeling of you want to jump out of your skin or your head might explode or um, you're standing outside looking at yourself. So they're right. very so different. Wait, wait, in that moment, anybody who's just heard that, Think about what it's like when you're sitting in front of your financial advisor or your estate planner or the next monthly statement comes in from your investment firm or the next decision needs to be made in terms of um, a CD you have even or a trustee is waiting for you to sign something. That experience in your body may be pointing to oversaturation. And we'll talk a bit about what you can do if that's happening. Absolutely, because they're very different. If you're if you're overwhelmed, you can keep moving forward. If you're oversaturated, you got to stop. So we'll get into oversaturated later. Um, but you know, you were really helping this client who was in overwhelm get grounded. She felt the weight of the of the work, and she, you were taking small steps. And I think the reason we needed to put this forward is because for two years she had been oversaturated, and she was dealing with a tremendous amount of grief. And uh, she lost her father when she, she was, um, before she was born. And her mother, she and her mother were very close. And her mother passed away two years ago. And then very soon after that, her uh, father's mother died and she received this inheritance. So she was thrown into a situation very few people have any reference point for and she was dealing with the fact that she lost both parents, and she suddenly had an influx of money from a parent she never knew. And that combination threw her into an oversaturation point where anything related to that money would be so emotionally loaded. And how could it not be? And uh, that's when she found us, it was the sense of, wow, somebody can really understand and help me navigate this particular 
really difficult, you know, challenging. We, we like to use the, the analogy of rapids, of, you know, when you're whitewater rafting. She was basically thrown into the river in a raft, and it's like any any kind of sense of support was gone. And all of a sudden, there was a lot at stake. And she often will compare herself to other people and um, that negativity, that those voices will come in in terms of um, other people aren't like this or I should be functioning better than I am. Or, you know, she's just highly self-critical. And anybody who's listening, just know that those voices come up really strongly. And that's the inner tyrant. When we talk about the money type, if you're feeling like your innocent is completely oversaturated and overwhelmed, you may often find that your inner tyrant will come in and berate you for that, make you wrong for it, compare you to others, uh, really criticize you for where you are. And, Jamie, I loved how you said earlier you know, that we really need people where they are and how important that is. And I wanted to know if you wanted to say something about that, like how you can shift that when that making wrong thinking comes up. I'm going to speak into that in a minute. I want to also let listeners know we're we're really looking at a specific case example and um, using it um, in a specific way to highlight these issues. And we also want to um, hear from our listeners, too. So please call in with any questions or comments at area code 347-215-6138, or you can uh, email your questions to listeners with an SDN at sylviaglobal.com or fax to, to the number above. So um, I think that when you're in oversaturation, um, I think that's a really good distinction that sometimes it lasts for a very long time. And beating yourself up doesn't do anything to make the ground more absorbent. You know, it just is. And... Uh, there's a kindness, I, I find even with myself, um, you know, and not feeling well. I think this is a great example for all of us is sometimes, you know, we just want to push through it. And we forget that if we just let our bodies rest um, or, you know, we let the rain stop pouring down on the ground, then we're going to have more capacity to move forward. So, you know, for two years, if you keep pushing yourself, oh, you should get this done, you should, you know, have a neat filing cabinet, then um, you could be doing more disservice to yourself than helping yourself actually move towards your goal. Yeah, and another thing that will often happen to somebody who receives um, an inheritance in conjunction with a tremendous amount of grief, one is this sense of uh, real oversaturation and almost paralysis like not even beginning to know where to begin and not being able to make any decisions. Or the other side of it is that the archetype of the fool will come in and um, spend and use the money in ways that aren't necessarily wise, but that give a sense of relief from this internal feeling like you're going to crawl out of your skin. Um, spending in our culture especially has been a way to uh, relieve that temporarily. And the problem is that it's only temporary and it's uh, very fleeting and then the inner tyrant comes back in and starts berating again for making the bad decision or um, and causing that internal suffering again that then the spending starts again. So it becomes a really awful feedback loop 
And that's why I think research has shown with the sudden money that within 19 months the money's typically gone because people can't tolerate the, the level of discomfort and dis-ease that comes with it even when there's such a boon around it. And all the overwhelm and oversaturation with having to learn a completely different way of life and a different way of moving in the world because your identity gets so impacted too. Well, and again, I think that you're pointing to two really important things. In our work with inheritors, we see that even when the um, windfall isn't attached to someone dying, so you take away the grief component, there's so much of a sense of paralysis so often and oversaturation. There's, Like you said, there's so much new information to take in, so much responsibility that's on your shoulders that wasn't previously and then if you add in, in addition to that, the grief component of losing someone that you love, if that's the case, um, you know, then it, it, it's just so compounded. And there's often a feeling of guilt of I can't enjoy this because it came at this cost. Or like you also said, Emily, sometimes um, really sort of letting it, letting it fall through your fingers because there's a sense of not deserving and not being able to hold on to it. So we're really talking about compound things that are happening. So it's such a good image, Jamie, because like when you said fall through your fingers, what I was picturing was a colander. Um, and, you know, we've got this oversaturation analogy and the water analogy, so I'll go with water. So it's like um, when you receive this, if it, if it goes into a colander or a sieve or a container that doesn't have really good containment, that money is going to go out. It's going to go in different ways that you aren't necessarily directing. And one of the things that's often missing for people when they receive an inheritance, especially at the time of the death of a loved one, is that container um, has not necessarily been established ahead of time in a way where somebody feels really competent and capable, at ease, able um, with what's come at them. Because you know, we talked before about the meteoric effect of an inheritance um, from Susan Vicendio and Keith Whitaker's um, really remarkable conversation with us related to their book on the cycle of the gift and what happens when somebody actually receives the gift. And I, I think that having and building this awareness of, whoa, this is completely new to me. I'm a total beginner. And acknowledging every step along the way of that learning curve can be so helpful. I think this is so true, Emily, and I think sometimes this is really where advisors miss out because they don't understand this emotional component that goes with it, or they understand it, but they don't know how to deal with it. And um there's even a group of the American Bar Association called the Emotional and Psychological Issues in Estate Planning. And we spent an entire year, it's a multidisciplinary group of lawyers and psychologists and coaches all working on the emotional and psychological issues. We spent a whole year working together and thinking about how grief impacts clients' abilities to make sound decisions. Um, around estate planning when someone's died. Um, and really part of the recommendations that we gave is not making big decisions right at the beginning because there is this sense of, I, I love your analogy of the sieve, you know, there, it's, it's holy. There's a faulty container because you're trying to really deal 
with all of this emotional intake. Um, and again, on two levels, on both the level of information and the grieving process. And um, I think the best advisors really understand and can help clients um, think through the grieving process because that's something that's pretty well defined now, you know. And most people want you to get over it in about six weeks. I think that's the uh, the typical length of time that people think, you know, who are outside of it. But really what we know is that um, grieving for someone, it, you know, it takes variable amounts of times, but it, it's generally at least a good solid year of grief. Um, it's different, you know, the grief that happens 12 months in is different from the grief that happens one month in. But, it, you know, it really impacts you, and there are very specific stages that a grieving person goes through. Yeah, it's so true, and anybody who's listening can understand this because um, if you've ever been in a situation where you've dealt with an emotionally traumatic event, whether it's the loss of your dog or the loss of a parent or a loss of some sort, a, a major move, anything that's caused you to have a traumatic transition in your life. And I want to be really clear about this because some people would say, oh, how can you liken a dog to a parent? And i got to tell you, I facilitate a healing through grief and loss support group. And in that group, we are really clear at the very beginning that the visceral, the body's experience around loss is just as legitimate and just as significant if it's a loved and beloved pet, a parent, a child, and we do not in any way judge somebody for why they've come to heal their grieving. And it's really important, again, to to quiet that tyrant that has some sort of judgment that comes forward and says, Oh, well, you know, that person's loss is bigger than mine, so I don't have the right to grieve or compares it in some way. Uh, you know, that's just, it, it's not healthy on any level. And when you have experienced a traumatic loss, a transition, loss of home, loss of job, whatever it might be, and even if it's a good transition, like, wow, the loss of the old way that I used to have to earn money to now I don't ever have to work again, that's still a loss, a, a very significant magnitude for a lot of people in terms of their identity. What I want everybody who's listening to think about for a moment is how was your capacity to learn something new at the time when you were going through a loss and a change? Because research has shown that it's a very, very challenging time to learn anything new. You're extraordinarily distracted and preoccupied by what's right in front of you in terms of the, the unknown, what you um, you no longer have that you used to have. It becomes very difficult. And I can speak from personal experience. My mother died really suddenly when I was 14 and I was a freshman in high school. And it's a miracle that I learned anything that year. And I couldn't, my memories are so sketchy from that year, it's quite extraordinary and um, so my mother died in October and in April my best friend from um, New York came down to Houston because we had moved there a year before and on spring break she came down and um, my father had grown a beard at the time my mother died and he didn't shave it he kept his beard and he'd never had a beard before and my friend came down and we were having a nice visit and um 
I came down to the kitchen one day uh, during the visit, and my dad had shaved his beard. And it was really funny. He looked so different. And I was laughing, and I was like, wow, what made you choose to shave it now? And he looked at me, and he said, because you started talking about your mom. And it was really shocking to me because not a moment had gone by that I hadn't thought about her, missed her, desperately wanted her there. It was like every part of me, every cell in my body was consumed with how much I missed my mom. I didn't feel like I had any space to talk about her, so I didn't say anything. And it took my friend coming down, asking questions, talking about her, remembering things to get me talking because she was able to do that. And he had just been waiting for me to start talking. And it was this extraordinary experience where I had no idea that I hadn't been talking about her because that's all that was in my head. I, I didn't realize that impact over there to him because it was so present for me. And it's hard for anything else to get in, and especially anything new. And the reason that we're bringing it up on this conversation is for inheritors who are dealing with loss at the same time as an inheritance is there's an incredible learning curve in terms of having to interface with advisors on a whole new level. Perhaps you're in a role, like as an executor or as a trustee, and even a beneficiary is a role. And you have to learn what are the standards for that role. What is it that I need to do to fulfill this role? And you, you might, like simply, like I'm thinking about this client, she's wanting to know what it is that she can live on. Like if she never worked a day in her life again, if she never brought in any income, what is it that she could afford? What, like what is her sustaining amount of money that would come from this inheritance? Just so she could know. And the investment advisor, incredibly well-meaning, very supportive, comes back to her and says, oh, in order for me to tell you that, you need to give me all of this information. And suddenly she was thrown again into that overwhelm and some oversaturation around, I have to dig through all this paperwork. I have to find these different pieces of paper when all I want is an answer to this question. And so we looked at it. And I, did, I coached her, and I looked at what would it be like for her to go back to them and say, let's pretend, and let's just act as if I don't have anything else. I don't have anything saved. I don't have any assets. Let's just say that I, I have no debt and I have no assets. What is it that you can tell me? And have them start off by just giving you some grounding in terms of what they're managing so that you have a place to go from from there. And it just, you know, her whole body relaxed. And she saw that her warrior could come forward and move with the advisor in a way that could get her particular question answered in a different way than being told she needed to give them more information right off the bat. Because that it wasn't, didn't feel helpful to her. It didn't feel supportive. It felt like it's all on my shoulders again. And it was just more added to that pile. Absolutely. And I think that, this, again, the savvy advisor who's working with clients who have just experienced some traumatic loss are really trying to minimize um, those questions to clients that require them to come with a lot of background information. Um, You know, that might be a a step for a later conversation when they can go through and look at it in more depth. But at that point, they're really looking, and there's some very simple ways to, to track your client, to watch a client and see, or, you know, even friends, to watch, and, and, you know, it's something that people can do right away, 
just watch and see when people sort of get that glazed over look or they start to look down, they start to look away, they start to fidget, they look like they want to get out of the room as quickly as possible. Those are all signs of feeling oversaturated. Um, and, again, I think that the the best advisors that we've worked with are able to take in some of this emotional, psychological information um, into how they best work with clients. And, uh, when we were going through, it's so this is so important for advisors as well as for inheritors. I love that we get to have these conversations on both sides. Uh, she and I uh, sat down with this very overwhelming box for her, and we just started taking one piece of paper out at a time. And um, it, it, it was like opening up a log jam. Once we started to do it, she was able to start flowing with it. She got into motion. She had me write labels. She gave me stickies to write on things. Like it, it, Everything started to move once we started doing it. And one of the first things she handed me was something, and she had a word for it. She was really funny. And she said, here's their dog and pony show. And I laughed and I realized, oh, if anybody who's an advisor listening to this really needs to hear this, which is when you come forward with um, your beautifully crafted materials and really wanting to impress a client with who you are and what you have to offer, um, it, it may not have the desired effect that you want. Um, you know, it's, it just can lead to more of the overwhelm and oversaturation and the person can often have the experience that they're not being understood and they're not being heard, which is the exact opposite of what the advisor is trying to accomplish. Jamie, do you want to speak into this? Because I know at Wells Fargo you you really worked with advisors Absolutely. around this. Absolutely. We used to jokingly calling call it, you know, hooking somebody up to the fire hose, which, you know, you can just imagine that's uh, oversaturation 101. Um, and I think that it's true that a lot of advisors mistakenly think that they want to come off as smart. They want their clients to know that they can do something for them, that they have ideas and they can put it into beautiful diagrams and with pretty colors and circular and charts. And it has the ex- I think you're absolutely right, Emily. It has the exact opposite effect because it's just, literally like being hooked up to a fire hose. And really what um, what I used to work with the advisors on is sitting down and asking more questions and just checking in with the client. What would be useful for them? How could they, what would make them feel comforted right now? What, you know, for this client that you were talking about, it would be to know with the amount of inheritance she got at that moment, you know, she had no prior debt, how could she live? What could that generate per year, a ballpark figure, and was that something that she could live off of? So you could start the conversation if the client, if the advisor had really listened to her. Um, and what, you know, ironically what uh, I think the advisors found was that was a much easier way because beforehand they felt that they had to come in with all the answers. They had to think in advance of what the client might want and come up with, advance, you know, answers and have it bound in a beautiful uh, in a beautiful notebook. Um, this way, it's, you can just listen and even get back to clients. Clients are very happy if you if you say, "Okay, I'm going to take down this information and I'm going to tailor a program for you." Um, 
So, you know, it's it's somewhat ironic that the, the way that works best for clients is actually also much easier for advisors. And we're going to talk more about questions, and we're going to talk about jargon in just a minute. I want to make sure our listeners know that they can join in on the conversation. You can call 347-215-6138, and you can also email us at listeners at sylviaglobal.com, and you can also uh, post on our Facebook page. There's Wealth Legacy Group, and there's Sylvia Global, and we'll be happy to answer questions there. We also really honor anonymity. We know that these topics are very, very challenging for people to come, in a sense, out of the closet with, and who knows how much paperwork is stuffed into that closet. And we want to make sure that you know you have a place that's safe and that you can trust and that you really can come forward with your your questions and get the answers that you want. So, and on uh, that note, if you call in with client with questions, you you know, there's no need to say a name. I'm sorry, were you getting to that part, Emily? My- right, right. You don't have to say your name. It's great to know where you're located from because um, it's just fun for us to find out where, where we're reaching people. Uh, and uh, you don't have to say your name. It's great to know your age, too, because then we have a sense of where you are, um, you know, in, in that demographic. But that, no names are necessary. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about questions, and then I want to talk more about the learning curve and jargon. So uh, research has shown, and this is great for advisors and for um, inheritors, anybody who's listening really, um, if you find that um, you're getting overwhelmed by questions, definitely take a breath and really feel your feet on the ground and feel yourself supported by your chair and know that questions will often automatically trigger the part of the brain that thinks that it has to have the right answer. And it will trigger a stress response. And anybody who's ever asked their uh, parent a question, their spouse a question, their kid a question, knows what that's like. You know, an immediate defensive reaction. Jamie, are you getting that at all with your uh, daughter? She's getting ready for her bat mitzvah. <laughs> Just checking in, like yeah. when you ask her what she wants to eat for dinner or, what, you know, is she happy with the question? I have two teenagers. They don't want to be asked anything. <laughs> I can look at them, and it's, it causes a stress reaction. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's what our bodies automatically do. It's an automatic reactive response. And so, again, there's no making wrong around it. So as advisors, when you're asking questions, especially to a new inheritor, you want to go really slowly. And you want to open it up from a place of what is it that they might see or what are the possibilities so that they come from a place of uh, looking into something as opposed to thinking they have to figure it out or know the right answer because you will get a lot of I don't knows or you will get a lot of, you know, um, okay, I'll get back to you or I'll find out. You know, if you want to establish that, um, it's okay if somebody doesn't have an answer or they don't know an answer and that that will just let you know about where you need to begin. And if you're asked a question as an inheritor and you're feeling like, oh, my God, I don't know how to answer that or I should know that answer and I don't, what's wrong with me, take a breath. Really breathe into your belly. Ask for a few minutes. Go to the restroom. You know, it's like whatever you need to do to take a break for yourself and really honor and acknowledge that, wow, 
I need to go even a bit slower than this. And that question um, is really hard for me right now. And I wonder if there might be some things we can do to just support me in understanding more about, you know, right now what's in front of me in ways that maybe I can understand it better. Uh, and and ask the, the advisor to take a little bit of the lead in terms of sharing, showing you things, and then asking and stopping for understanding and slowing things down. Then Another great Another great idea, Emily, if people feel comfortable, I know that when I went to visit the doctors when I first got diagnosed, um, I would always, you know, my husband would come with me, but he was listening and listening in an emotional way. We would always bring a friend with us who would um, take notes um, because there was so much information that was coming in emotionally and we, we weren't absorbing it. We were oversaturated and this person would take notes and sometimes I would go back and look at the notes and I would be like, when did they talk about that? So, you know, this is this is maybe sensitive information, but if there is someone that you feel comfortable enough to come with you, it's often a good idea. Or you could even say, you know, I want to think about the questions you're asking. Would it be okay if I tape our conversation? So that you have a backup sense, so you can just be present in the room to the questions and not feel like, you know, you also have to get down all this information for later. Yeah, and, you know, there's a great tool you can use. It's um, called LiveScribe. And I think I saw one at the Apple store yesterday that's an Apple version where you, uh, it's a pen, and you can um, record a conversation as you're taking notes. So if you're somebody who, like, finds that taking notes and writing things down helps you as well, it allows you to learn from multiple different streams. And you you just need to let the advisor know in advance that you'd like to do that and um, get their permission as well. And then the other thing I want to say about this work I did with this particular client, because it's such a great way to bring this forward, is as she brought forward different pieces of paper from the last two years and kind of her learning curve, I was really able to support her in acknowledging her learning curve and her steps she'd taken and to give her a different perspective because she was so hard on herself. And there were a lot of notes on the papers that they had given her right at the beginning. And when she was going over the notes, she was speaking and showing and telling me what it was she had learned. And it was information she had never understood before. And so we were able to talk about how she had developed a level of competence and understanding of the financial jargon. I thought it might be interesting to just read off. I have uh, one of the uh, papers from um, the the investment advisors in front of me um, that she let me have. And just want to read off some of the jargon terms on here. And what I mean by that is terms that investment advisors, portfolio managers, financial advisors, estate planners understand and use every day. That somebody who's newly an inheritor and is going through a grief process may never have heard before and has no grounding, even if they have heard it, what it really means. And what it means to them. What the relevance is for them in their lives. So, I'm looking at one page, and it's a chart. And the chart's got great colors, and it's a circle. And in the middle, it says there's different pie sections to the chart. It's just, it's around, like, just imagine a pie with different colored pie um, pizza slices. So one is cash flow, then tax efficiency, stock options and benefits, retirement, investment strategy, risk management, business succession, family wealth transfer. 
because this is something any advisor listening is going to go, like, yep, yep, that's pretty comprehensive. Yeah, that's the way, you know. And somebody who's never, ever sat in front of an advisor before, who's always relied on their parents for this, or even when they have sat with an advisor, hasn't ever had to understand it fully, that alone, just that circle, may cause that sense of, whoa, what am I stepping into? And then there are these boxes that are off to the side with words like uh, risk tolerance, uh, real estate holdings, investment policy statement, diversification strategies, insurance sufficiency, uh, diversification, risk analysis, um, uh, risk management planning, trust planning, just all I'm just pulling these out. It's just amazing, like all of the different terms that anybody who's an advisor is like, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, deferred compensation plan, restricted stock planning, executive compensation plan, uh, qualified plan, asset redemption policy. Now, just imagine for a second, somebody who's just really been hit maybe six weeks ago with the death of a parent. Uh, and then they're hit with one page that is covered with all that information. And just have a sense of what that feels like. It's like a tidal wave of information. It's that fire hose you were talking about, Jamie. Well, and I always say to clients, too, it's like a foreign language. And sometimes we have this mistaken idea that if we grow up with parents who are French and speak French fluently, that somehow genetically we would just inherit the ability to speak French, although we know that that isn't true, that you only learn French by having your parents speak to you in French, speaking back to them in French, making mistakes, getting better, and it's the same with financial literacy. It is a language, and you have to learn the language and learn how to use it, make mistakes with it. Um, And so often in an inheritance situation, that hasn't happened, but there, again, is this fantasy that because the parents knew how to deal with it, we should somehow also know how to, you know, to speak that foreign language. That's a great analogy. I love that we use it, and I got to see it firsthand the other night when I went out with some really dear family friends, and um, my, uh, she's like a cousin to me. Uh, her husband is from Europe, and he speaks. Uh, French and he speaks German fluently and they have a uh, four-year-old who's just adorable and when we were at the table um, his father would speak to him in French and his mother would speak to him in English and when his father would speak to him he would understand everything his father said and he would respond in English and uh, later on I, I reflected on that and they said yeah it's really interesting he completely understands the language but he doesn't speak it and well, I, it really made me think, oh, wow, when he goes, he's going to Switzerland with his father in a few uh, weeks, he's going to be surrounded by people that he's going to be able to understand. But how is he going to get himself understood? And as a little four-year-old, I think you know, he'll have a, a chance to try out um, speaking it. And I think one of the things that happens is we get tripped up because we feel like we have to know it perfectly or uh, we don't want to say it and say it wrong and then get corrected. Um, so oftentimes we'll either give the impression that we understand or we uh, we won't speak up because we don't want to come across as not understanding really. 
Well, and that's that inner tyrant coming back out and telling us that whatever we do is wrong. Right, it's never good enough. Exactly, exactly. As opposed to thinking about, you know, um, I've worked with several clients where we start to think about the advisors that they're working with, that these are people that they're hiring, people that they're hiring to do work for them. So they have the ability to really um, help to navigate the process. Oftentimes we don't feel empowered. We feel at uh, not the mercy of necessarily, but we, you know, we want to show, particularly inheritors, want to show their advisors that they understand, that they're smart, um, that they're worthy of the inheritance. And we forget that we really have the ability to say, can you slow this process down? Um, can, can you help me understand some of these words? Um, you know, this is a learning process, and I need your help in learning it. And, you know, one of the things that we will recommend to a new inheritor that's going into an advisor is go in prepared and think about what's the best way that you learn, right? We talked about maybe recording the conversation or taking notes. Maybe the way you learn new information and the way where it's stuck, and I'm thinking foreign language, I know I use a lot of flashcards. And it's a really fun way to learn. And, you know, we will recommend if that was a way that you enjoyed learning, bring a deck of of, uh, index cards. And every time you hear a word that you don't know, write it down, or you'd like to understand what they mean by it. Write it down on one side of the card and have your uh, advisor tell you uh, or write down on the other side what the definition is. It's best if they can explain it to you and you repeat it back and so you really have a good understanding of what it is, and then you write it down because you'll, you'll learn it on multiple levels if you do it yourself. Um, we can all read books with all this information in them, but it's very different when you're sitting face-to-face with your advisor and you're getting this information. Um, and, you know, they, That's great. Mm-hmm. Go on. No, I just love that idea because I was going to say, you know, oftentimes they have a glossary of terms, and there is something visceral about writing it down and getting it into your into your muscle memory. Um, but I think, you know, people can also say, do you have a glossary of terms of some of the most used terms? And often, just like we said with the oversaturation, the more you fight it and the more you beat yourself up about it, the less you're moving forward towards your goal. The more that you accept that you're a beginner and that you're learning and that that's perfectly okay and work with your advisor to let them know that you're a beginner and it doesn't mean that you're not competent, that you are going to gain this knowledge and, you know, increase in your abilities, then you can really truly be working together with your advisor in a partnership. And that's so important because advisors want to be of service to you and you want to feel like that advisor really is supporting you. And sometimes it's not the right match and that's okay too. And sometimes people go into a lot of reaction and they're like, I am taking my money somewhere else because you do not support me. Or they feel like they have to keep it there because that's where it was before. And what you want to do in those instances is you want to have a conversation around what's working and what's not and what is it that each of you needs in order to feel like the partnership can be successful and that both of you get to feel competent and capable and able to go forward with your role. So there may be some advisors listening to this and it's like, oh, this is the last kind of client I want to work with. I want to do my work and I want to be really good at doing my work. I don't have the time to sit down and explain all this. Great. This is not the best client for you. 
probably best to refer them to somebody else and to maybe uh, let them know ways that you can support them in ways that really work for you uh, and really cultivate the clients that do work for you, like the uh, the, the wealth builders and the, the um, people that are really steeped in this conversation already where they get to just hit the ground running. Um, and then there's other advisors where it's like this is their sweet spot. And it's like, oh, I get to show and teach and and really build somebody's sense of confidence and competence when they don't know this information. That gives me a lot of pleasure, and I'm passionate about that. Yay, this is a great group of people to work with. And the more you can be savvy about how to work with them, the better. So it's not about like every advisor is the right fit for every person. It's such a great way to show, too, how we work with our clients, Emily, because we often work with them to sort of tailor a profile if it's the client, what does the best kind of advisor look like for you? Are they somebody that just brings the facts and, you know, has all the information prepared and easily accessible? Are they somebody that goes slowly and is teaching you? You know, every person has their own profile of what works best for them. And also when we work with advisors, helping them find out who is that ideal client for you because, um, you know, we can't serve everybody, and we do. We all do our best work when we're working with the people who are optimal for us, both as advisors and as clients. So it's a great yeah, and thing. Um, to add to that, uh, when uh, last week's show we did with um, Paul Hood, my co-author of Estate Planning for the Blended Family, and we chose to do something in our book we hadn't seen in other books, which is on uh, page 139, we have a chart, questions a client may secretly have during an initial interview with an estate planner. And it's just this long list of what it is that you may be considering or what you didn't even know you would want to consider as you're sitting interviewing an advisor to see if they're right for you. And then on 141, we have what the estate planner is wondering about the client during the initial interview as well. And some of the, you know, the advisors like, hey, you're not supposed to say that. But it's, we're all about transparency. And it's like we are doing a bit of is this the right partnership for me? Is, does this person really care and have my interest in heart? And any inheritor that's listening needs to know that, that advisors and uh, estate planning attorneys and uh, accountants and financial planners, all the people that are there that you are hiring to advise you, they have their concerns too. They have things that they're responsible for. They have things that really are important. I mean, Jamie, when you were at Wells Fargo, you had to, to totally, you had an obligation to go through compliance, right, before you could do anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering, Emily, those are, those are so great, those two things. Would, it be, would we be able to put those on our Facebook page so clients could, um, listeners could find them? The list? Yeah, I'm happy yeah. to put those on our page. If you go to, if you like the Wealth Legacy Group page on Facebook, I can I can put those up in our documents, and you can get those absolutely. I think that would be really useful because it is good to sort of know what the other person's thinking across the room. Because again, it's a partnership. It's not uh, it's not singles tennis where you're trying to psych out your opponent. So, Jamie. Um, I'm having technical difficulties today because my computer's not working, so I'm going to ask you to do the evocative question. And, Absolutely. Uh, well, and I just, before we launch into that, I know we're 
we're coming to the top of the hour, but I just want to know, can you give us a, a quick just update of how the end of that session went with the client? Because um, I know oh. it was a, a tremendous session. It was really phenomenal, and uh, we ended up having quite a bit of fun, um, and she was really delighted with the outcomes, and uh, she expressed that she was able to speak about and uh, roll up her sleeves and really dive into what was like a cesspool for her um, and come out smelling like a rose, like really coming out feeling like, wow, I'm a lot further than I thought I was, um, a lot more organized than I thought I was. And she knew exactly what actions she needed to take in the next week to get some questions answered in a new way. And we had fun putting stickies on them. And at one point she handed me a sticky and said, can you write this on that? And I started doing it. And she said, wait, why am I not doing that? And I said, because it's so much more fun to have somebody else to do it with that you really are feeling supported in. And it's having that support system and that environment around you. And and when we were done, we looked around her space and it was transformed. And we were able to, uh, uh, in a very short period of time, take care of a tremendous amount of um, just overwhelming paperwork that has stifled her her creativity and her capacity to move more effectively. And since then, she's taken some serious actions in ways that she hadn't before. Wow. Sounds like a very, very successful day for both of you. Um, So let's dive into our evocative question. What piece of paper, file, or decision is in front of you needing your attention? And maybe you want to help that hire Emily to come and work with you on it because it can be diving into a cesspool and being fun and smelling like a rose. I love that analogy. Uh, and our inspiring <laughs> invitation, look and see what small action, again, we want to highlight, small action you can take towards feeling more empowered and capable when addressing this specific item. So that's the piece of paper, file, or decision that's in front of you, needing your attention. And finally, our useful tools, we have several today. Uh, The Inheritor's Sherpa, it's a book about Life Summoning Guide for Inheritors by Myra Salzer. We highly recommend that. That is a colleague that we work with, and hopefully we'll have Myra on. Um, Oh, definitely. people go step-by-step step into how to figure out exactly what this client was asking, what what her nut is and what she can do with her inheritance. And for um, anybody who's listening that doesn't know that term, a Sherpa is somebody that supports you in taking one step after another and climbing a huge mountain. Absolutely. And then Sudden Money, Managing That Financial Windfall by Susan Bradley, another colleague of ours that we hope to have on. Um, the Inheritor's Handbook, A Definitive Guide for Beneficiaries by Dan Rottenberg. The Wise Inheritor by Ann Perry. And finally, Navigating the Dark Side of Wealth, A Life Guide for Inheritors by Thayer Chatham Willis. Um, and what we recommend is don't get overwhelmed and buy all those books. Go to your library and ask them if they have them. Go to a bookstore if they have them. Don't inundate and overwhelm yourself. Leave through them. See which one really speaks to you. That's why we give you a lot of options. Absolutely. And, of course, these options will all be listed on um, our web, on our uh, Wealth Legacy Group Facebook page and on Sylvia Global. 
We thank and you, you so much for joining us. LegacyGroup.net. Jamie, have a great day, and thanks for listening, everybody. Take care, Emily. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, and hopefully we've made a difference and somebody's gotten some benefit, and we love to hear from you and find out your feedback. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.